Everything under your roof is important, so make sure your roof is up to the job. For over 20 years, SureTop Roofing has been covering triangle homes and businesses. SureTop Roofing is certified with all of the major shingle manufacturers, providing a 50-year non-prorated warranty. SureTop Roofing has estimators, project managers, and design consultants on staff, guaranteeing superior service. Visit SureTopRoofing.com. SureTop Roofing has you covered. Sure Top Roofing presents the Carolina Contractor with your host, Donnie Blanchard. Brought to you by GAF Roofing, Shingles and Materials. We protect what matters most. And Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply and Garner, a roofing supplier with a different approach. And it's the World Series edition of the Carolina Contractor Show. How you doing? I'm Eric Smith, and with us as usual from Sure Top Roofing, Donnie Blanchard. How you doing, Donnie? I know I can't throw you off. <laughs> if I were any better, I'd be brand new, but thank you for asking. Yeah, and to keep the baseball theme going, Donnie will be pitch hitting for the show and will be moving right to left in your stereo field. <laughs> I better stretch. If you want more information on the Carolina Contractor, go to the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. Last week was very interesting. We talked about Angie's List versus Home Advisor versus Google when you're looking to get work done at your own house. Also, how to fix squeaky hardwoods and squeaky mother-in-laws, uh, <laughs> exterior window shades, and the difference between just a certified contractor and a master elite. For example, Donnie is a master elite with GAF, correct? We are. Yes, sir. So, again, the website for that, thecarolinacontractor.com. Today's topic is about flipping off people. Uh, I'm sorry. Not quite. I misread that. <laughs> uh, today's topic is about flipping, house flipping. You've seen the TV shows. People go in, they buy a house in distress, a house that was maybe abandoned uh, during the mortgage crisis, and someone goes in, buys it for cheap, puts in new flooring, siding, paints it up, and then sells it for a big profit, and they're rich and happy, and you go, I could do that. Mm -hmm. So, Donnie, is it easy for the average person to flip a house? Yeah, well, there's a lot that happens when those cameras disappear, and that's what they probably don't tell you when they Mm -hmm. put all that on TV. And um you know, flipping is actually the slang for wholesale real estate investing, and it seems really attractive. And uh, we actually started advertising on one of the WTKK affiliates with uh, G105. And demographically speaking, they have a different age audience. And um, a lot of questions have come in in the last couple of weeks, and they all seem to be about flipping houses. So it's on a lot of people's minds. And I thought we'd be wise to address it because it does seem attractive. It does seem like a great financial opportunity, but there's a ton to take into consideration. And it's one of those things that you can get burned really easy and uh, you could invest three, four, five months of your life in this flip and then not make anything. So mm-hmm. a scratch is not the goal. So to making zero dollars <laughs> and giving up a lot of your life is not it. it. It actually takes me to a quote that I've always remembered. A dear friend of mine lost his father just a couple of weeks ago, and this guy was just a great guy. And he made a comment about how he's not going to work and spend his time if he doesn't have anything to show for it. And the way he worded this is, I'd rather be just broke than broke and tired. And I thought, wow, I mean, that's not a comment about him being lazy or anything. It just says I'm not going to invest my time that's worth something for nothing. Anyway, I'll start with telling you about the things that you should take into consideration, and then we'll dive into what happens after you actually take the plunge. But, of course, pricing is the main thing. Is this house a good price from the get-go? You want to limit your financial risk and not overextend yourself, and you don't ever, ever want to pay too much. You want to be able to gauge the work to be done in terms of a dollar amount from the get-go. Pay attention to the big-ticket items like a roof and HVAC. We harp on that all the time because Mm -hmm. these are things that have – lifespans and you're going to have to replace them at some point. So being educated enough to know, you know, the tonnage of the unit when it was installed and just an expectation of 
how long you expect that to last uh, is something that will, will definitely help you on the big ticket items. But if you're wise, you'll have a business plan in place before you even start looking for these houses that you're potentially going to buy. And a big bag of money. And a big bag of money if that's an option. So one thing I tell folks is if you're going to do this, use the 70% rule. And that's something that's pretty common in my, our world. But it says that you should never pay any more than 70% of the ARV. So that's the after repair value of the property minus the repairs that you need. So you go in there and say the house is 150. Oh, Lord, we're talking math again. <laughs> Sorry. $150,000 and say it needs 25 grand in repairs. Right. The 70% rule means you should pay no more than 80000 for that home. So that's 70% of 150 minus 25000 And basically what that does, if you reverse the math, is it says if you're going to do this, you're going to make it at least 30% after oh. it's all said and done. So that's the goal. As a matter of fact, I read something really interesting this week, and this is somewhat encouraging and discouraging at the same time. But <laughs> the first half of 2018 saw flipping activity slow to a four-year low. So that doesn't sound so great. And if you were thinking about doing it, that may scare you away. But the average ROI or return on investment shrank to the lowest since 2014, also discouraging. But that number is still north of 44%. So even with the market down, these folks are making on average, you know, 44% or better, and wow. they're calling that a downturn. So that's still pretty encouraging and uh, not so fast because there's still a lot of other things to take into consideration <laughs> here. So uh, don't use a buy and hold strategy. A lot of people just buy the property, they sit on it, and I think the ultimate goal with most of this is to turn it ASAP. What you're doing is you're going to avoid mortgage interest, utilities, property taxes, insurance, et cetera. I mean, there's just a a long list of things that that you can capitalize on by getting that property sellable as fast as possible and then turning it and looking for the next one. So well, I think that's the whole reason flipping that phrase is used because it's implying that you're doing it relatively quick. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Another mistake a lot of folks make is they don't factor in property insurance. Now, that's it's pretty cheap to have, but people say, hey, it's a it's an old junk house anyway. Why do I need insurance on it? And the worst thing that can happen is you invest your time and money and, you know, potentially a fire breakout or the house is damaged by a storm or something like that. And you basically lose your investment and start from zero. So everybody knows how cheap homeowners insurance is. And on a flip, it's it's not expensive at all and definitely something you want to have. The last thing I'll say about taking this into consideration is is the location. Location, location, location. Yeah, you hear that all the time. And uh, you've got to understand comps. If you've ever been a part of a real estate transaction, you know, they compare your house to the houses around you and which house sold the latest and for what price. Also, school districts are a big deal because if you're selling to someone with a family or, you know, someone with children in general, they definitely want to pick a school district that would be ideal for them. The areas on the decline, I think this is something that gets overlooked quite a bit, is that certain towns, uh, for instance, where I grew up, one side of town was really popular and all the businesses were all segregated to that side of town. Well, mm -hmm. fast forward 25 years later and everything's moved to the exact opposite end of the county. Yep. And what used to be the hot spot in our hometown is now pretty much run down and they're trying to figure out ways to revamp it. And, uh, you know, so you don't want to buy in an area that's on the decline for sure. Well, if I can, I'll give you an example of a guy I used to know. He and his wife did flipping before it was cool. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a builder. His wife did work in real estate. Uh -huh. So they would find properties, but she did all the legwork. Mm -hmm. She would go out and she would look, as you said here in the list of things, comp. She would look for school districts. She would identify those areas where you see a lot of businesses maybe moving into. Mm -hmm. And you can, if you're really good at this, she would look at filings done with cities and counties for building permits and you would see signs on the side of the road that say council meeting about this property on this date. Right. That to her was a big 
yellow light blinking saying somebody wants to build here. Right. So she would get that information. Then they would look for houses in the area that were in distress. And distress could be that physically the house was bad or it could mean the people couldn't pay the mortgage. They left. Long story short, they would buy the house living where they were, buy a house, flip it. They would take a little bit more time than you see on the TV shows. After they got the house built up to what they liked, they would move into it. Then they would find a second bigger house in a better place and work on that one for one or two years, Mm -hmm. move into it, sell the first house. And they did that three, maybe four times. And their final goal was they bought a big piece of land with a big custom built house they did themselves. But the key was not that he had just the skill to build and he could have contacts with subs like electricians and plumbers. She knew where to buy the house that would make a maximum profit and get them the most equity after two or three years living there. Yeah, and that's all public information, so you just have to know where to find it. And one thing that jumped out to me about what you just said is they lived there for two years. I don't know the exact tax break, but you definitely get a tax break if you live in that house for a two-year period. So there was a strategy that, behind that as well. I wouldn't. I didn't know yep. that, so that might be the reason you stay there a couple cap- years. Yep, your capital gains tax definitely is directly impacted by how long you claim that as a permanent so residence. Donnie, then what are some of the things if people are considering, you know, they want to they really want to give this a, a try flipping houses. There's some more details in this. I would think the number one is the financing to get the money to buy these houses. What do you do? You're exactly right. Well, starting small is a good strategy. So if there's a way you can pay cash out of pocket and not involve a bank, that certainly makes things a lot easier. But if you do have to involve a bank uh, with what's trending from what I see now, an equity line would be the best. You know, that way. You only qualify for an equity line that makes sense on a piece of paper. So that banker is going to tell you what you can afford for an equity line, and that will somewhat keep you from getting in over your head. If you finance, the main thing to remember is that the interest is the only thing that's deductible, so not the Mm. principal, taxes, or insurance. A lot of people confuse that and think they can deduct everything, but it's only the interest. Uh, If you have the cash, you know, that's always the best way to go. But Mm -hmm. if you've ever taken a marketing class, you know what holding cost and opportunity cost are. Uh, those are meaning that you're tying your money up in something that's not a good investment when something way better could come along in two months. All right. This is the Carolina Contractor Show today. We're talking about flipping houses with Donnie Blanchard from SureTop Roofing. So we got the financing part you need to consider. The thing that I always thought why I would never attempt to do this, if I just wanted to paint one room in my house, it's going to take over my life for a weekend. Mm-hmm. This is something that's going to take over your life for months, I would assume. That's exactly right. Can you do this stuff yourself? I mean, it's how much time are you willing to give up? Are you a family person? Are your nights and weekends important to you? Um, it took me a long time to figure the answer to that question out. But, you know, factoring in the renovation time, what the inspections will take, because, you know, if one thing has to come before another in the critical path of the uh, house being finished, you know, you have to wait on the inspections department for days sometimes. And at the end of the process, who's going to sell this thing? Do you have a realtor that you know? Are you able to sell this yourself as the owner? And a lot of times realtors work Saturdays and Sundays. And if that's what it takes, that's just something you have to factor in from the get go. All right. If you've got the money, you've got the time. (laughs) The most important thing is, do you know what you're doing? Can you swing a hammer? Can you work a saw? Right. Do you, I would assume with this, you've got to have contacts that are in the industry because if there's things you're doing to flip a house there are things that require a licensed contractor so Mm -hmm. do you have any skills that's probably important right right right. are you asking me that personally or 
Well, I don't know. Do you have any skills in building? Have you ever done I this? used to. Now I just do a lot of driving, and they, they, they pick on me and say I have the tannest left arm in the building business. So uh, that's not true. I don't roll my windows down much. But anyway, um, the sweat equity may be the most important part of this whole thing. And if you have the time and the money, then can you get in there and do some things yourself? And if you're not tied to the industry, we always talk about picking out a subcontractor and the relationships I have because I've been in the business for so long, and that's just not something that happens overnight. So if you don't know the folks, it may be a bad idea. Now, what about competitions? I'm not talking about another a couple or a, a small group of people that flip houses. I'm talking about the national companies that now this is trending to be a very big deal yep. where a national company with all those contacts mm-hmm. come in. Are they like uh, piranhas? Do they pick off people? Yes. So the reason that I don't do this, I, I could definitely do it. I have people staffed up uh, as employees that I could just send in and do just about every trade necessary except for plumbing, mechanical. And, and you can do custom building from the ground up, too. From the ground up, I could do anything I need. But there are people that, that this is all they do, and they work for these giant companies, and they have deep, deep pockets. Um, matter of fact, I read where Zillow is actually flipping in certain markets. So if you know how big they are in the real estate world, uh, trying to compete with somebody that's a giant like Zillow, you just basically get the scraps. And in certain markets, that's just not an attractive way to go. Uh, a few other big league lenders are starting to do the same thing mm-hmm. on the premise that Zillow's having some success with this. So, yes, sir. I would imagine some of these big guys will drive around and they can tell if it's a small couple or a group of people doing a flip if they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And then they'll come in and say, hey, we'll bail you out of this. Yep. Instead of taking a huge loss, you'll just take a moderate loss. And now they've got a lot of work done in this house and property vultures. All right. The last thing, and you have a note here, Donnie, written patience, risk versus reward mentality about flipping. Explain that. I would always advise somebody to not take on a flip if you have to do this for the money. If you don't need the money and this is just going to be extra money on top of what you already earned to keep yourself up or keep your family going, then definitely okay as a potential business venture. But if you have to do this to eat, I don't advise it. If you are in a financial position for this to make you or break you, depending on how it goes, you definitely don't want to do the first one in that position. You're not going to be able to turn and burn like they do on TV. And I would advise people to do your homework and understand how to do a for sale by owner transaction at the end of all this, because that's going to be a big savings when this is all said and done. So you got to have the time. you got to have the money, the planning, the patience, the skill, the effort. And the problem is, even if you do a great job at all those things, if the market changes, yep. you can't change the market yourself. That's it. Market conditions drive this whole thing. Right now, we're in the middle of a seller's market. If you could do this and potentially get something done before the election year rolls around, who knows? You may turn a big profit, but say it rolls into March and interest rates change between now and then. And uh, it, it's not a seller's market any longer than you're stuck with this house. It's not selling. But my best advice would be. To speak with a financial advisor, I have a wonderful guy with Edward Jones that I use, and it doesn't cost me anything to talk to him. Uh, he just advises me on just about anything I could do as an investment for my family, and they will definitely steer you to or from this, depending on what you have to work with as starting capital. And I think the moral of the story is, for this state at least, mm-hmm. the census said we've grown almost 900,000 in population really? since 2010. So people need a place to live. Yeah. So there's going to be houses. There's going to be a need for them. So I don't think there's going to be a lack of finding properties to flip. It is the details on how to flip it. Is it the right neighborhood? Mm -hmm. And will you be able to get a profit out of that? Like you said, the target is 30%. That's it. It's the Carolina Contractor Show talking about flipping houses. We'll upload information and the show up to the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. But up next, the best part of the show, because I really don't have to do anything. (laughs) I don't have to think. 
questions from listeners, you can submit your own. TheCarolinaContractor.com. There's a little thing you can click on and put your question in. Donnie reads them all, answers them all, and we're going to take a sampling of those questions and give you some answers right after this. We'll be back with more of the Carolina Contractor presented by Top Roofing. Brought to you by GAF Roofing. Shingles and materials. We protect what matters most. And Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply in Garner. A roofing supplier with a different approach. Everything under your roof is important. So make sure your roof is up to the job. For over 20 years, SureTop Roofing has been covering triangle homes and businesses. SureTop Roofing is certified with all of the major shingle manufacturers, providing a 50-year non-prorated warranty. SureTop Roofing has estimators, project managers, and design consultants on staff, guaranteeing superior service. Visit SureTopRoofing.com. SureTop Roofing has you covered. Welcome back to the Carolina Contractor with your host, Donnie Blanchard, presented by Sure Top Roofing. And welcome back to the show. It's my favorite part of the show because I don't have to do anything but read questions that you listeners have sent for Donnie to answer. So it's his brain that's doing all the burning. If you've got a question about your house, inside, outside, top to bottom, anything, go ahead and submit it at thecarolinacontractor.com. There's a little button on there you can click. And submit the information, and Donnie of SureTop Roofing will answer your question, and we're going to do some of those on the air. And this first one is very interesting because I'm going to make a challenge in the future with you, Donnie, after okay. this first question. Question number one, is hand nailing important? Well, we get this, gosh, every other week, and folks say, well, can you hand nail my roof? And the answer is, yes, we can. Uh, it takes a little longer. We have to charge for it, and I'm not so sure it's worth it. But the reason this is even a thing is because of bad roofers and not bad nail guns. I think that's probably a common parallel in society where you blame the uh, blame the gun and not the shooter or something <laughs> like that. Anyway, the uh, where a nail gun will bite you on a construction site, whether it be framing or roofing, um, is that you don't check the pressure. So our guys are super sensitive to this, and they check pressure. That's just our daily protocol, and you're checking that pressure to make sure that your nail gun doesn't overdrive the nail. Uh, the other place that people say it affects you is in your accuracy. So where uh, if you've ever held onto a shingle, you see that there's two layers. So especially on an architectural, you have the top layer, uh, which is like the sawtooth pattern that you see, and, of course, the bottom layer that gives that so dimensional look when you look at it from the ground. But the way that these two are pieced together in an area is called the common bond, it's a three-quarter inch strip across, and that's where you're directed. It says the instructions right there on the package for the shingles. It's where you're directed to put that nail across. So I can see where hand nailing may be more accurate, but um, with our warranties and the way we install each and every roof, we do six nails per shingle. So six nails per shingle adds up on a 90-degree day at 4 o'clock. And personally speaking, as long as we check the pressure, I trust a pneumatic nail gun more than I do a tired forearm at three or four o'clock in the day. So that's just my take on it. I don't think that it's any better of a product to have it hand nailed, but a lot of people, they charge steep prices compared to where we are and our structure. And I think that hand nailing is just a way that they justify the prices. So uh, funny story, I did a roof for a guy, gosh, four or five years ago. And in the army, he was a Morse code reader back during World War II. Wow. So we were telling him about the six nails per shingle. And he said that he was a big fan. And as a matter of fact, he paid to have his last roof have four nails per shingle. And that was extra, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But the guys were putting his shingles on and he's out in the yard, not really paying attention. And he heard dot, 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 <laughs> dot, dot, dot. 
And so it was only three dots. And he said, wait a minute, that's an S. And he knew by the letter that they were only putting three nails per shingle and he called those folks out on it. But, um, yeah, I think you're okay using a gun. I'm not sure that it's worth it to pay the extra to hand nail. And that same guy, when you're doing six nails per shingle, he'll come out and go, why are you cussing at me in Morse code? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't read that far into it. All right, in the future, we're going to have a contest. I don't, I don't okay. do this as a business like you do, okay. but we'll just have to bring in some wood and some nails oh. and see who can drive nails faster. Mm, I'll go left-handed. Real, oh, no, just kidding. You've already sized me up and said, no, I, oh, I'll smoke him. That was trash talk. Sorry. Wow, all right. All right, question number two, submitted to the CarolinaContractor.com website. We plan on replacing our gutters. Is it worth it to upgrade to six-inch gutters? Without answering this question, I had to go see the house, and in this particular instance, it was absolutely worth it. So just a rule of thumb, a dollar to a dollar fifty more is all you pay to upgrade from five-inch to six-inch gutters, and it makes an unbelievable difference. It doesn't sound like a lot, but that gutter trough having that extra inch will really accommodate much more volume than the five-inch. Uh, worth noting also that the downspouts for both of these are a three-by-four, what we call an oversized downspout. So you get the same downspout with both, but definitely worth paying the extra buck a foot to get the six inches. And the reason in this particular case it was worth it is these folks have this grand 5,000 square foot house. And I was an architecture major in college and drew all my own house plans. So I learned the hard way after I built some of these that may not have functioned as originally planned. But when you can picture these cut up houses with a cut up roof line and say it's 7,000 square roof, which is what this guy had, the front half on average is going to be, you know, 3,500 square feet of roof shedding into that, that gutter trough. Well, the way these houses are cut up, you may have 3,500 square feet of volume shedding into what may accumulate to be 12, 15 feet of gutter across the whole front of that house. And so that's what people don't take into account. These things look beautiful on the blueprints. They look beautiful when you build them. But when you're seeing the end game on how these things function, you have to accommodate the volume of watershed from that front slope into an adequate amount of gutter to get that far enough away from the house so that it doesn't cause a problem down below at the foundation level or in landscaping or just natural areas or something like that. So totally worth it to go six inch. All right. Question number trace. That's three submitted to the CarolinaContractor.com. This is our first winter in our house. Should we take any precautions before using our chimney for the first time? Yep. Uh, Especially if it's wood burning. That's it. Especially if it's wood burning. This person sent us a question before, and I just love how it seems like every time they send me anything inquisitive, it's always proactive. So they're trying to plan for uh, what may come here. And, of course, they do have a wood burning fireplace. I did verify that. But I harp on this a lot. Give the thing a good visual test. You know, just look at it. If anything looks out of place, uh, you know, that's just something to address. Um, If you're going to burn wood in your house, uh, or anything combustible gas, I recommend installing a CO detector before winter. Those are so cheap and so worth it. If you don't have one, it's definitely something that you need to make a mandate to have plugged in. A chimney sweep. Folks don't often know what these guys do, but they come in there and just make sure everything is okay for your wood-burning fireplace. You could even have them take a look if it's a gas flu that goes up through there just to be safe. But chimney sweeps are often inexpensive, and I think it's just cheap insurance. When you light a fireplace, whether it be direct vent gas or wood burning, those fireplaces draw. They draw the air out of the house, similar to what a return does. So one thing that you can find out once you light these fireplaces, and they do start to draw successfully, I recommend grabbing one of those cheaper thermal imaging cameras like we mentioned a few shows back. When you're pulling air from somewhere in the house it's not supposed to come from, the way you can tell with that thermal imaging camera is when either the heating and air system is on or the fireplace is drawing, 
you know, you can you can use that to tell if you have gaps around your doors or windows. And I just think that uh, every time we have a season change like this, those thermal imaging cameras will pay for themselves if you consider that as an investment. In the business, we like to call them ticks. Yeah. Donnie's one of those people that has to explain things, but I know what a tick a is. A tick, a thermal T-I-C. imaging camera. Hey, a side note on that, if if you don't, if you have a fireplace that's not in use, there's a product called a chimney balloon that's been out for years and years and not a lot of people know about it. But just go check out chimneyballoon.com. And they have a, a ton of different products that will definitely fit what you have going on. So if you don't have a chimney and that return kicks on, it's drawing air from the outside through your chimney. And that's just a big place of an energy loss and, and could cost you a lot on your utilities if you don't address it year after year. And uh, you chimney balloons at parties, absolutely a hit with the kids. If <laughs> I've you want never to that thought chimney. of that. I'll try that. Real quick, you mentioned CO detectors. I just jumped on Amazon. You mm-hmm. can get those for $14. Right. So right. a great, cheap investment that can save a life. Yeah, if you're handy around the house, they do also make a combo with CO detector, smoke detector. And so if you've already got a hardwired smoke detector, you can pop a combo up there with little to no problem. Yeah, I got the same thing. A lot of those older houses, well, not older. Mm-hmm. Ours is from the 80s. It's got the built-in smoke detector. Okay. So you're in good shape. Last question submitted to the Carolina contractor is this one. Very common this time of year. Yep. We turned our heat on for the first time and it smelled like something was burning. My wife says the same thing after we eat Mexican. Uh, what causes that burning smell when you first turn on your HVA system? Um, okay. So uh, the way this happened, I found out these folks are all electric. So they have a heat pump, not a gas pack. And with Reach the, it on there. Yep. With the heat pump, um, Basically, what happens is you go to sleep with the air condition on, and so you've got it set to 70. You wake up, it's 60 degrees in the house, and it's freezing. You think, oh, my gosh, I've got to turn the heat on really quick. Well, uh, the way a heat pump works, it warms up air that's already semi-warm. So when you have a big discrepancy in temperature from 70 to 60, and it knows it's got to get to 70 as fast as possible, you have these emergency heat coils that activate when the heat pump can't keep up, so to speak. So these emergency heat coils have been sitting dormant all summer long, and you're telling these to come on at a moment's notice. They probably have a nice collection of dust on there. So what you're actually smelling is that dust burning off of the emergency heat coils because your system is trying hard to catch up as fast as possible. I have a heat pump at my house, and it's a standard thing before I turn the heat on for the first time each season. I go through the house and say, hey, nobody panic. I'm mm-hmm. going to turn the heat on. It's going to stink for a little bit. Right. Because it does. It, does. it is. If you're not used to it, and I think for a first-time home owner, if you have a heat pump, when you turn it on, it can be a little bit alarming when you turn it on. You're thinking, oh, I th- did it catch fire? What's right. going on? So don't panic, but you can also call an HVAC guy, have them check your system, tune it up before you turn it on in winter. That's a good way to uh, ask questions of what you should expect when you fire up the puppy. Right. Thanks for submitting questions, everybody. If you've got one, you can submit it to thecarolinacontractor.com. Again, Donnie answers all these questions, and he likes to, if he can't answer it from just your question, sometimes he'll schedule a time to come out and look at your house. So thecarolinacontractor.com is the place to go. Hope to tune in again next week, Donnie, from SureTop Roofing. Appreciate you coming in as usual. Yes, sir. All right. So we will see you again next week on The Carolina Contractor Show. Thanks for listening to The Carolina Contractor, presented by SureTop Roofing. Brought to you by GAF Roofing, shingles and materials. We protect what matters most. 
and Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply in Garner, a roofing supplier with a different approach. Submit your questions online at thecarolinacontractor.com and tune in next Saturday as we continue to help make your home great again. Everything under your roof is important, so make sure your roof is up to the job. For over 20 years, SureTop Roofing has been covering triangle homes and businesses. SureTop Roofing is certified with all of the major shingle manufacturers, providing a 50-year non-prorated warranty. SureTop Roofing has estimators, project managers, and design consultants on staff, guaranteeing superior service. Visit SureTopRoofing.com. SureTop Roofing has you covered. 